Blog Talk Radio. fans everywhere. My name is Michael LaColin, also known as the Brooklyn Trolley Blogger, and I welcome you to this evening's November 1st edition of a Metsian podcast. Uh, what can I say? Hurricane Zeta has brought us some crummy weather as, as of late, uh, but in truth, there couldn't be a finer day in Metsville. I'm sure everyone agrees. Uh, let's get in tonight's guest all of a sudden. My panel is lighting up like a Christmas tree. Uh, first, let's bring in the boys hailing from Connecticut. Connecticut Mets fan on Twitter. You can find them at MetsFanRich. He's a fellow Giant fan. Tell me what your opinions are about our football team. Rich Sparago, everyone. Hey, Mike. How are you? Um <laughs> Yeah, the Giants, well, they're not as bad as the Jets, so we'll start with that. And um, Yeah! You know, they, they've they got, I mean, I think the Giants have some pieces to build with. And this is a throwaway season, of course, with Barkley out and uh, out for the year. And Daniel Jones is still learning. And the Giants have some, you know, some pieces they need to add. But I, I don't think all hope is lost. I could see them being competitive next year or the year after with, with a healthy Barkley and a little bit more in the offensive line, pass rusher. Uh, that's asking a lot, but you know, I, I think it's doable. And, and as you were saying earlier, you know, um, it, it's lousy weather. I love the way you put it. It's lousy weather, but it's sunny for Mets fans because um, I can't remember a day when there's more intrigue about off field matters like ever. Um, you know, there have been trade deadlines. This guy's coming, that guy's going, sign this guy, this guy walked, all that stuff. And that, that happens. But the implications of what's, ha- of what's happened in the last 48 hours for the Mets are, are just so rich with possibility. And, and the optimism among this fan base is just crazy right now. So I'm looking forward to getting into it. And allow me to go out of order because I have a, ske- a special occasion planned for us. Uh, I'm going to bring in tonight's featured guest now. Uh, I can only say, and I say this with much respect, he is the Mets authorita- authoritative historian. And, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Uh, author, proprietor of Faith and Fear in Flushing, Mr. Greg Prince. Good evening, sir. Good evening, Mike, and good evening, Rich, and everybody else. Uh, yeah, pretty good night. Even uh, even with the Jets and Giants having one win between them, uh, it's a great night in November <laughs> to be a New York sports fan, isn't it? The best football team in New York State remains the Buffalo Bills. By the way, Rich Sparago, you can catch us at mesmerizedonline.com. Sam, if you step on anybody tonight, I'm going to go there personally and step on you. Hush. Now, that being said, <laughs> that being said, our other partner is known as the converted Mets fan, but he's also been known around these parts as the COO. And as promised, tonight 
we retire the position of COO and inaugurate his promotion to <clears throat> president of podcast operations. Everybody, congratulations to you, <laughs> Sam Maxwell. Well, maybe I wasn't uh, uh, waiting long enough uh, before going around the boardroom and, and uh, making my presence known, but uh, I appreciate that, Mike, and I appreciate everybody joining us tonight. Um, I, I'll take the jet side of, of things here. Uh, you know, right now they are 0-8, and, and, and like I always say, the Jets are usually never good enough to make the playoffs, but never bad enough for a first pick for a, a, a number one pick, let alone even like a second or third. They always, you know, fumble in the middle. And uh, so I like this strategy right now. Let's not fire gaze. Let's keep this this uh, ball rolling, ball. keep this, uh, undis- this uh, uh, defeated season rolling, and, and uh, hope that we come out uh, number one in the draft standings at the end of the year and then fire gaze. Full service podcast brought to you by the one and only president of podcast operations, Sam Maxwell. At this time, with the help of technology, I'm going to bring on a caller from 201. Identify yourself for us, please. Hi, uh, Mike. This is this ah, is you Anna threw me a changeup. You threw me yes. a changeup with 201. Anna Bryce, everyone. Uh, Jersey girl, yes. former New Yorker, Arizona resident. What's going on, Anna? Hello. Hey, Anna. Well, hi, everybody. It's so nice to talk to you. Uh, Sam asked me to call in, so here I am. And I'm listening to you all say that you're having bad weather, and I don't want to say it, but I'm going to. Um, (laughs) I was just in Sedona this weekend, and it was 75 to 79 degrees. And then coming back home, it's usually 10 to 12 degrees higher. So it's about 85 right now. And, you know, it was sunny out. So I hate to this say is, it, but but I have this to. Is truly <laughs> the best, this is truly the best time to be in Arizona, isn't it? It is. It is. Although, believe it or not, it's been a little warm you know, we usually have this, like, 75-degree weather in Scottsdale in October, and it has been in the 90s. But we had a summer, so this should make you all feel better. We had a summer this year where we had 50-plus days of 110 degrees or more. It was pretty brutal. Over here, we've been experiencing of late, you know, the remnants of Hurricane Zeta. Uh, just rain, right. you know. Uh, I wish all the best to everyone who experienced its impact. So uh, let's get on with some baseball. And ladies first, and I'll start with you. We just had the World Series uh, in what has been a rather odd and strange season. Uh, right. I'll just throw out a couple of things. You attack it as you will. Uh, the 2020 World Series, Los Angeles Dodgers defeat the Tampa Bay Rays. Analytics versus traditional baseball, big market versus small market. Uh, again, have at it as you will, your observation of the World Series. I thoroughly enjoyed the World Series. 
I thoroughly enjoyed the 2020 season as short as it was. I couldn't imagine going through this year without having baseball and having two full years of time, you know, of a time span of seeing a game or really 18 months. So I was thrilled that we had the season. I was thrilled that we had the World Series. The playoffs were were pretty um, exciting. Uh, it drives me crazy the way managers manage pitching. Drives me nuts. Um, so I'm really bummed for the Rays. I was rooting for the Rays, and I have one reason why I am never rooting for the Dodgers. They broke my shortstop's leg in 2015. They will never get me on their side. Um, that being said, I was rooting for the Rays. You know, it's kind of fun to have a team like the Rays. It would have been great to have them be the world champions. The managing pitchers drives me nuts. But Dave Roberts did this in 2017. Um, he took out Rich Hill, I believe it was game four, after four innings. He was pitching beautifully, but it was the old, he went through the lineup twice, so we have to take him out as per the analytics. And they ended up losing that game, I believe possibly in extra innings. I honestly would have to go back. But to me, that's where the Dodgers lost the World Series. Dave Roberts lost the World Series in game four because that series went to seven. Now, that being said, we found out that the Astros were big cheaters, so that might have had something to do with it as well. But pulling out a pitcher when they're pitching well makes no sense to me. Just watch what's going on on the field. I get analytics but we have to have this really happy medium of analytics and what is actually going on in the, you know, on the field. I think that was the same year that Roberts pulled Hill out in the middle of a perfect game. I, I have no words for that. None. I want to see a perfect game. <laughs> That's, you know, oh boy, my blood is boiling. <laughs> Mr. Prince, take it away. Yeah, I think uh, the Fox microphones might have picked up the sound of high-fiving uh, in the uh, Dodger dugout the second Blake <laughs> Snell was removed. Uh, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll echo those thoughts. Um, there was some plan behind this that said we need to get uh, the guy who's mowing down uh, the other team, when our backs are completely against the wall, out of there uh, after two times through the order, um, maybe you put that on ice for for a batter or two. Or maybe you don't bring in the guy who's been having a lousy postseason to replace him. Uh, it, it just seemed asking for trouble. And that is the trouble the Rays received, although it's in the interest of fairness, the Rays scored one run that night. And you know, just to to put it in a, a Met context, uh, the the score wound up being three to one, uh, the same three to one score uh, that was the final of Game Six in 1973, which uh, should be recognized by the not quite 
George Stone game that we come back to. Uh, those of mm-hmm. us who remember 1973 and even those of us who don't, I think, uh, it's become so legendary. Uh, the game in, in which Yogi Bear did not start George Stone when he could have given Tom Seaver an extra day of rest with a 3-2 lead. And my point in bringing that up, of, other than uh, to, to poke at an old memory, is when you get right down to it, uh, the Mets scored one run off Catfish Hunter and the A's bullpen that day. So... You know, the Rays needed to score more than one run in probably all likelihood unless Snell was going to pitch a shutout. But you know what? Snell was pitching a shutout. (laughs) Oh, you know, you might want to run with that. Uh, The other thing that I will take away from the uh, final game of the World Series is, speaking of the Met angle, uh, is Justin Turner uh, coming out uh, of the game, unfortunately having tested positive for COVID-19. And coming back onto the field after being told to quarantine <laughs> and then taking off his mask in the middle of the celebration because, gosh, uh, who would want to miss the celebration uh, of having won the World Series? Well, you know, these are, as the commercials keep telling us, uh, challenging times and extraordinary times. So uh, that, I, I think, uh, switched Justin Turner is a guy who, despite wearing the Dodger uniform and despite being on the other side the night uh, Ruben Tejada went down, I've always continued to have a soft spot for. But uh, I think he went from object of sympathy to object of, you know, proper derision in a, in a matter of minutes. And that, that sort of took the edge off the whole, hey, isn't it great that we got through this postseason without anybody testing positive and without baseball having to shut down? And, you know, I'm very happy that we got a postseason, that we got a season – uh, i be honest, I, I couldn't completely throw myself in to the postseason uh, with the empty ballparks or in terms of the World Series and, and the NLCS, you know, three-quarters empty ballparks and synthetic sound and cutouts that I couldn't stand to look at anymore. But, uh, you know, it's better than not having baseball. And, you know, congratulations to the Dodgers. They certainly have been waiting to win this thing for eight consecutive years with a division title. Not that I was really rooting for them. Congratulations to the Rays for putting on a great show for the most part, and Randy Arozarena for introducing himself to us. Uh, that was a lot of fun. But, uh, you know, I, I yeah, I, unfortunately, I think I come away thinking, why, why was Greek Snell removed and what was Justin Turner doing out there? But, uh, you know what, I I Although I think it'll take a little time, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, uh, I certainly hope it's the the last World Series that we're talking about with two teams that are the Mets in them. But I guess I hope that every year. <laughs> Hundred years ago, the Brooklyn Dodgers lose to the Cleveland Indians in the 1920 World Series. Has nothing to do with our discussion, but they also dealt with the pandemic two years prior to that, and we're coming back from the war. Yeah, sounds familiar. Anyway, Rich, the fall classic that was. Well, it was entertaining, um, certainly, and which is good, you know, because baseball, and I was just talking to my daughter about this moments were going on, the show started. You have to give baseball a lot of credit because the last 47 days of the season, there were no COVID incidents. And, you know, it started out as an absolute terrible situation you know, with, with the, uh, the Marlins, the Cardinals, and some on the Reds and the Mets you know, had some, and but the way baseball policed itself and was able to get through the World Series with the bubble concept and all that with not one incident after late August, um, 
you know, you got to tip your hat to, to Major League Baseball for that. And that's something that really doesn't get talked about much. But I think we do have to have to give a hat tip there uh, to both sides. You know, the owners for, for going forward with it and, and the players for agreeing to a bubble, which, you know, all these things were groundbreaking. So, anyway, I just wanted to get that out. The, the World Series itself, sure, you know, it was it's baseball's feature event and, and it lived up to that. Um, and I'll be devil's advocate um, for game six. Not that I agree with this, but one could argue that using the analytics had gotten the raise to where they were. They had made decisions like this all year and they went with it. They went with, you know, the formula that worked for them. And to our eyes watching the game, it made absolutely no sense. It still does not to me. And it sounds like not to Anna or Greg, who have already spoken. I'm, I'm with you. But you could say this is how, you know, as uh, Tim McCarver used to say, you got to dance with the one that brung you. And, and that's what they did. Um, and so, okay, you know, he went down with the formula that had gotten you there, but it certainly did not seem like it made a lot of sense. And then the other thing I'll say about game seven, and tell me if anybody felt the same way, watching the game with my daughter and we're like looking at each other saying, this is like watching the Mets. They got an early lead, right, on the home run by Rosarena. In the first couple of innings, they left guys on base, and you're saying to yourself, uh-oh, this is going to come back and hurt. This is going to come back. Then the starter, for whatever reason, gets taken out. And then the bullpen comes in and blows it. Is that not a Mets script if we've ever seen one? It was like, it literally was like watching the Mets. And anyway, so those are my observations. Um, I'll, I'll diverge from what Greg said. I am an absolute non-Justin Turner fan at all. Um, what his actions did not surprise me, you know, with the whole uh, coming back out on the field. So, you know, obviously I hope he recovers and all of that, but I'm, I'm absolutely not a fan of his for any reason whatsoever. So those are my, um, those are my observations. Sam, the Dodgers have been knocking at the door for a couple of years now and they finally broke through. Yeah. And um, uh, I'm going to go uh, a little bit of the historical context and, and Anna brought up, game fours um and whether it's 2015 whether it is 1941 or whether it is 2017 game fours have major implications and it looked for a hot second that it was going to come back and bite the dodgers and you know once again they could have taken a three to one lead but they they let that get away uh, in dramatic fashion and uh however you know um, what, what's interesting too is that even though I think it would have been a great story for the Rays to win, uh, the Dodgers were kind of able to get rid of that Buffalo Bills. Speaking of the only New York State football team, technically, uh, <laughs> they, they, they were able to kind of shake that idea that they were becoming the baseball Buffalo Bills, uh, even though it's the COVID nineteen season. That was that was a, a seven game World Series that was pretty hard fought. Um, so I, I, I want to know more about the Brooklyn owner cause I, I don't even, I just found that out at the last second in terms of the raise. Uh, but it, you know, it, it's cool for Clayton Kershaw. Um, and it's cool for, for that organization to kind of get that chip off their shoulder. Uh, even though we have uh, dissension, we kind of have that weird, you know, we know that they're family in some weird fashion and Greg can speak to this as well from the Giants perspective. Uh, and it's, so there, there's still something about that script, even though from a 
New York Brooklyn Dodgers perspective, and I'm, I'm looking at the skyline as we speak, uh, it, it that franchise is looked on as as you took my baby away, and it's hard for New Yorkers and, and Brooklynites, even though it, it, it's kind of fading in many ways. That's what these discussions keep it alive. Um, what Walter O'Malley did to an entire community of people that that had one last thing to hold on to that was independent of the city. And that was the Brooklyn Dodgers and that got taken away. So, you know, it's, it's interesting, especially, and and Mike, I'm going to pass it on to you after this, the 1981 connection, considering that was a short season as well, not exactly the same structure as this short season, but funny how history repeats itself. Most certainly. You know, uh, some people might want to call both these championships 2020 and 1981 compromise in 81 because of the strike uh, in midseason. So they wound up splitting the season into two halves. And then this season, you know, they only played 60 games. But uh, I don't agree with that assessment. Uh, You know, as far as I'm concerned, they're in the clear. They're the legitimate 2020 champions of baseball. I, I have no qualms with the season. The season was going to be strange to begin with. We knew that going in. Uh, we've discussed this on this podcast and we said we would hold, we would not begrudge them. That's what we said. So in reverse order, Rich, I'll, I'll throw it back to you because we had this, this, this discussion. So how do you feel about the champion? And we'll just do this very quickly. We'll throw it around the loop before we get onto bigger and better things. It's totally legitimate. I mean, everybody played by the same rules. And um, it wasn't a 60-game season for the Dodgers and a 90-game season for somebody else. So these are the rules of 2020. The Dodgers won fair and square, and and I I agree with you. I think there should be no asterisk. Greg? Um, You know, you're right. It's same rules for everybody. They called it the World Series. I think when, when this was all in the planning stages and the talking stages during the summer, you know, I was thinking they ought to come up with a different name, you know, World Series tournament winner or something, um, because I don't really have much fondness for the Los Angeles Dodgers. I'm sort of perversely happy to say, well, you know, they 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 won the uh, the least. Uh, valuable world series they could possibly win in terms of it being this year, but it is the world series and it was a championship and I don't begrudge them that their accomplishments. So, you know, I, I think as uh, the years go by and you start counting off, uh, when did this franchise or that franchise last win? And if, Knockwood. Uh, the Dodgers don't win anymore for a while. And we say, Oh, they last one in 2020. I don't think you're, going to have to put a whole lot of asterisks on that. I think these playoffs definitely weeded out the weaker teams, and you had the strongest teams in each league participate. So, Anna, uh, is this championship tainted in your view? No, it's not tainted. You know, this year it is what it is, right? I mean, this is a crazy year for all four major league sports. It's a crazy year for everybody in every aspect of life. It is what it is. I personally would have liked to have seen an 81 game season because I think it could have easily been done. The players wanted a 114 game season, 
But I think if it were an 81-game season, we would have much less of this illegitimate season talk because it would have been a full half season. But I look at the Dodgers' record. In 60 games, they lost 17 games, and the Rays lost 20 games out of 60. I mean, they, they played really well. Um, you know, the Mets, for example, and the Washington Nationals lost double the amount of games that the Dodgers lost. They lost 34 each, you know. So I have no qualms about it. I heard chatter on Twitter that Houston fans were going to say if the Dodgers won, they deserve to be an asterisk. And I just want to slap those people because that's ridiculous. If there should be an asterisk on any year, it should be on 2017. Well, folks, it's the dawning of a new era in Flushing. Uh, In another 10 days, this deal is going to be finalized. Steve Cohen takes over ownership of the New York Metropolitan Baseball Club from the Wilpons and Saul Katz. Uh, Funny thing here. Mr. Cohen takes over 95% and the Wilpons will retain 5%. I believe in the world of uh, corporate structure that entitles them to a seat on the board of directors or at least, you know, a seat at the the meetings. So we're not really getting rid of them, are we? So uh, let's celebrate. (laughs) Break out the party hats and the noisemakers. you know, we've been, it's been it's been said forty years. You know, let's not forget part of that was, you know, co owned by Mr. Nelson Doubleday. And we like right. to put all the blame on the lack of a statue at hey, you could say Shea Stadium and City Field. But let's not forget Nelson Doubleday was here for some of that and he could have done something as well. Um so, Steve Cohen, it's a, it's an open floor. I'm not going to push anybody into any corners with the question. I'll save that for the second round. Uh, but it's a celebration for Met fans. Um, social media has been going overwhelmingly bonkers with the news. Uh, and I'm one of them. I'm happy. At least for the last 18 years, this ownership has directly infected my life. I chose that word carefully. Uh, so, Anna, I, I'll, I'll go in reverse order again. I'll start with you. Uh, Steve Cohen. Out with the Wilpons, in with Steve Cohen. I am just absolutely thrilled. I'm downright giddy about it. I just feel like I can't stop smiling about it. I keep saying to my husband, I just can't believe this has happened. I am so thrilled. I have to say, I can't believe it was 40 years of the Wilpon. Like, yes, it felt like a long time. I'm not sure it felt like 40 years to me, just meaning I, I don't really remember it being that long. But it's, it's a thrill to get someone who, like, I feel like already this guy wants to win. I never got that feeling with the Wilpons. I feel like the Wilpons manage the team to a profitable business. You know, the D-backs do that here. 
the D-backs don't really go anywhere. They're fun to watch. They don't really get very far, and they manage it to be a profitable business. But that kind of stinks. Like, who wants that, you know? Um, you know, yeah, they had their win in 2001, um, you know, only four years into their existence, but nobody wants that. And, you know, it gets so frustrating to look at the Yankees every year, put a team on the field that every year has a chance to win. And I don't feel like that with the Mets ever. Uh, 2015 was such a surprise to me because I don't think any of us went into 2015 thinking we were going to the World Series. You know, in fact, I remember saying to my mother early, you know, in spring training, she was like, well, maybe we'll win the World Series. I was like, they're not going to be anywhere near the World Series. And then, you know, as that really fun season unfolded, right, and in July things really felt hopeful that year, it was fantastic, but it feels like we've had so few of those, right? That was David Wright's only experience with that. You know, prior to that was 15 years earlier in 2000. That's a really long time. And in the meanwhile, the Yankees had how many, right? One, two, three. Yeah, they had three, at least three, Um you know, in that time frame. So I'm just thrilled because I feel like we're going to be in it, finally in it from day one, opening day, we're going to be in it. So I'm really looking forward to 2021. Greg, in 1980, I was 13. But I understood that Joan Payson had passed away and the the team had been put into the hands of her daughter. And, and Donald Grant, but you know, as a 13-year-old, I look upon Doubleday Wilpons as saviors from the dark years. Now, I had no idea then that Ed Cranepool had put in a bid for the team. You know, I learned that much, 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 much later in life. So, did were you aware that Cranepool put in a bid? I remember him trying to put together a group of the. Uh... One of the great teams that could have been in baseball, uh, Robert Applenalp, uh, was uh, going to be his partner, a uh, old crony of uh, the former president, uh, Richard Nixon, who lived in the area at the time. So who, who knows uh, how that would have worked out. But, um, you know, we got Doubleday and Wilpon, and you're right. They were saviors. Uh, and I don't, I don't mean that ironically either. They were a huge boon to turning what had been a moribund, to put it kindly, franchise back on the map and culminating in the seventh year of their ownership in a world championship. And then, what, 18 days later, the ownership structure changed. Uh, It went from Doubleday and Company with Fred Wilpon having about 5% to a 50-50 <laughs> split between uh, Doubleday and Wilpon as individuals, and whether there was a precise connection or whether it's coincidence, they never won anything again uh, of, in terms of winning the World Series. There'd be, you know, some mm. playoff years, obviously, and uh, a couple of World Series in the 21st century. But the, uh, you know, I, I think the, quote, 
Wilpon era uh, will not be remembered as a time of saviors, uh, unfortunately, for the way things have gone down in the last 10, 15 years. But, yeah, in 1980, it was a different story. Uh, Parallel between 1980 and 2020, or 2021, in terms of new ownership coming in and writing the ship, or, or you know, bringing it up from the bottom of the uh, the ocean, uh, maybe I don't I don't think this franchise right now is in as bad a shape as it was coming out of the DWA uh, Don Grant years, and uh, that's good. I, I think we're a lot closer to contending uh, for real. In in a way that you know doesn't feel surprising, you know every few years when it happens, uh, certainly than we were at the end of the seventies, and certainly than we've been in other years, you know that there is you know a decent amount of talent here. Uh, the sixty game schedule that we talked about was probably not the best barometer. No offense to the World Champion Dodgers, but not the best barometer of what a team is over 162 games, just because it can't be. So who who knows what the Mets that they put together this year would have been with 100 more games to play. Maybe they would have been even worse. I don't know. But that, that is now officially irrelevant because the people running the show are no longer going to be running the show, and we will have now running the show and hiring the people to run the show uh, somebody for whom winning apparently – is everything, and for whom the Mets are everything, or at least within his life, a big thing, and uh, just kind of showing up and uh, getting by is not the way uh, this guy is going to operate. You you mentioned, Mike, um, social media going nuts the last 48 hours. Uh, Steve Cohn is now on social media. Steve Cohn is talking to fans on Twitter all day, and not in a perfunctory way either, and saying in so many words, yeah, I want to win, and let me know your ideas, and hey, that's a good idea, and whatever. Now, again, every we're having a honeymoon right now, and that's great. There, there ought to be a honeymoon. It's, you know, we, we, we've had nothing to celebrate uh, uh, in, in 2020 as Mets fans or generally uh, in this uh, world. But, uh, you know, again, there, there's always this, this sense whether – whether it's from being a Mets fan or just in general of, of not wanting to put uh, carts before horses. But, boy, you got to feel good about the horse <laughs> who's, who's leading the way now. And it is something, I think, uh, where n- none of us is exactly used to, the idea of just feeling good. And then not, not in a, in a, for a moment, not because, hey, it looks like we were kind of going to get X player and maybe he won't be so bad. Maybe, you know, we can get a good fourth starter, that that sort of thing that, that, that bucks us up for a couple of days. <laughs> In an average winter, we got, you know, a guy who potentially changes the face of the franchise for the long term and changes the way we look at things, changes the way the Mets compete. And it actually happened. You know, this thing what wasn't... Uh, this thing wasn't a done deal 72 hours ago, and there were all kinds of things that could have gotten in the way. And, and just the fact that it happened is a great sign. So, you know, until the first thing goes wrong, there's nothing wrong with this. And uh, I can't wait. I think four MLB owners voted against him. And we know here in New York City, City Hall gave him a hard time and, you know, prolonged the process. So, Rich... The man 
as Greg says, has a Twitter account. One of the specific questions he asked fans was, what can he do to make our experience better? And I answered that question. Uh, but take it away. Let's celebrate Mr. Stevie Cohen. Well, you know, there's a lot to celebrate, Mike, and I think it really comes down to how you want to look at it. You know, I've heard Anna say that, um, you know, the team will likely be competitive, you know, more often, and I think Greg said the same. And, and yeah, that, that, that's a great reason to be happy about Steve Cohen. You know, the, the, the Mets will, from a, uh attracting talent perspective, um, you know, not operate like a small to mid-market team any longer. I saw something on Twitter today, might have been Martino, who said that um, he's hearing that a lot of free agents are not going to sign anywhere in the in the few days it'll take. Your free agency opens, uh, I believe, at midnight tonight. But some free agents are saying, you know, we're not going to make any moves until Steve Cohen officially owns the Mets, and the Mets are a bidder because we want to see what you know what they have to say and where they may want to go. And I guess the Mets are becoming an attractive stop. I saw that on Baseball Night in New York this week. I think Anthony Recker was saying that in a player's mentality, um, when you see someone like a Steve Cohen take over with his resources and his passion, hell yeah, the Mets become a stop that people want to want to think about. You know, and, and automatically you're getting a buzz right there in terms of not only the ability to attract talent, but the desire for that talent to want to come here. So you have a lot of benefits there. And, you know, I'll, I'll take a slightly different tact on it just for a moment. What I'm really looking forward to under the Cohen regime is, is as much on the field as off. And what I mean by that is I'm hoping that the organization is run in a much more professional man- manner consistently. How many times over the last 40 years have the Mets just, done these incredibly bad things and, and just, you know, been the source of derision, you know, whether it's some of the stuff that the Wilpons did, you think about, about um, the whole Adam Rubin, Omar Minaya thing and, and all of that, which was, you know, obviously the Wilpons weren't directly involved, but, uh, but different things that happened in the front office we know about. Um, uh, one of the stories that I talked about with someone was more, much more recent than that. Think about what happened in the summer of 2018 when, when, Sandy uh, had to step out because of health reasons, and he wasn't exactly treated royally at that point on his way out the door. And then they went with a three GM situation. We called it the three-headed monster at the trading deadline. So who was making the decisions at that point? You know, how, what was going on exactly? You had a, these three GMs, nobody clearly in charge, while the team, they were trading Familia. You know, they, they had other potential moves they could be making at the trade deadline without a clear GM, and then it persisted throughout the rest of the season. And then if you think about what happened with Cespedes, you know, when he came back for that one game at Yankee Stadium, and then Mickey Calloway had to answer questions the next day about, well, Cespedes just said he might be done, and, you know, he might need surgery, and and, and Mickey had to answer those questions. The field manager should never have to be in that situation. It was just a – they looked like a schlock operation. And in addition to all the positives that come in terms of talent and all that, I'm just hoping that there's a sense of professionalism. You know, they don't shoot themselves in the foot. They don't put themselves on the back pages to be laughed at. I'm looking as much forward to that as anything else. Sam, you have a perspective unlike everyone who has spoken about this so far. Uh, you do not remember Joan Payson. I believe Wilpons are all you know. 
So that's somewhat different. Uh, I want you to discuss that. You know, go into Stevie, Stevie Cohen anywhere in which way you please. But I'm going to start the next question for the for the room with this, and I want you to start. The New York Post posed a question. Now that Steve Cohen is taking over, and you know we anticipate what he's going to do and how he's going to transform this team. So here's the question. Will the Mets maintain their charm? Sam. Hmm. Um, well, I think right now Steve Cohen, at least in this honeymoon phase that we talk about, is answering that question in as of he is bringing in as many ideas as possible in what seems, and I, I have to pull her name up um, as quickly as I possibly can, uh, but Steve Cohen's wife is the one who's got, who got him set up here, Alex, mom of five. Uh, <laughs> um, they, right now it's saying that they're, trying to, they're working on getting it verified, so it does seem that Stephen A. Cohen, too, has immediately gone on Twitter for the first time in his life, and he is immediately <laughs> responding in many bright and shiny ways as to how to make the overall experience better. And in doing, the, you know, listening to what we have to say, which what we've been screaming from, uh, you know, I slip all the way out to uh, Rockaway, New Jersey, uh, <laughs> you know, it, we've been saying that you need to incorporate the history more. And maybe that's the way you make a better Mets franchise while also remembering who you are, as Mustafa once said. You know, that that is kind of how you keep the charm. And, you know, it, it, it seems like be careful what you wish for about him being on Twitter, but I'm sure he's going to get the hang of it. I'm sure that, you know, um, the first time somebody yeah. yells at him for not uh, uh, getting Eric Young Jr. Sorry, Rich. Uh, you know, that, that it, he, he's going to handle it properly. I mean, he's been, it, it seems, uh, in, in much deeper waters before and, and been able to navigate that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it especially immediately plays out. And uh, I do think they can keep the charm without, you know, w- w- without becoming the Death Star, as, as uh, uh, the metaphor went. Howie Rose is having a blast on Twitter, by the way. Uh, he cracks me up sometimes. So this singular question, we'll throw it around the room. Will the Mets maintain their charm? And I don't want to limit you. Let's start dusting off the hot stove. And by all means, we can talk off-season free agency and transactions if you care, because uh, that's where this discussion is headed next. So, Anna, charm. And I didn't read that article. I saw people reference the article. I'm not really a fan of the Post, so I tend not to read their articles. I don't really know what charm they're talking about. Um, Lovable losers, you know? I, I I think Steve Cohen and the fact, like, I don't know about you guys, but 
I was really surprised to see him get online like that and ask the question. It was like, wow, this guy, you know, who is now the owner of this team, this billionaire, like I just couldn't believe he was asking that question. So to me, that's a bit of the charm that I think he's already brought. Um, I, I, I hope what he brings is that we're one of those teams. Well, I think we're kind of one of those teams already. Like I love the guys we have on our team right now. They're a team you can really root for. So I hope that's what he brings is this team that you want to root for. You know, like nobody wants to root for the Yankees except for Yankee fans. I hope we're one of those teams, like how many people were rooting for the Rays because they were just an easy team to root for. So that's what I hope he brings, is that we're this fun team to watch with this really nice bunch of guys that you just can't help but root for them. Charm. It's an intri- It's a very intriguing question to me. And, and Rich, I'm going to bring up 1988, 1999, 2000, 2006, and I'll even throw 2007 and 8 in there just because of the way it ended. And, of course, 2015. Snake bit, is that appropriate? And does that refer to this charm that they speak of? Or does the charm come from the 60s? Or does the charm come misguidedly from these last bunch of years under Jeff, et cetera? Well, you know, I, I don't think there's been a whole lot of charm lately. I mean, yeah, the guys that they have, you know, the Dom Smiths and the Cookie Club and all that, that gave the team a certain character. That's true. But under the Wilpons, I mean, I, I don't think there was a lot of charm in the organization. I'm going to go back to what I said before in the answer to the previous question. You know, the, the Wilpons were their own worst enemy to, to a very large degree. You know, some of the stuff that they did and the way they conducted their business and conducted themselves just just was not good. And I don't see where you get charm out of that. I, I don't. I, I don't see where um, anybody gets charm out of, out of the New York Mets. Now, so to me, when they're talking about charm, I think they're going here. And I did not read that article, as Susanna said. Um, I think where they're going with it is the Mets have been the the people's team to the Yankees' IBM. You know what I mean? So, you know, the Mets, ever since 1962, have, you know, they came in with, um, you know, it was sort of like the the little guy mentality, you know, the little brother to the Yankees and all of that. So they were more like a bull. And maybe in that sense, you know, they, they weren't the corporate Yankees and all of that. So they may have had charm that, that sort of persisted into modern day. So maybe it's that, that halo effect of charm, you know, from the 60s-ish, you know, and right on through. But but as of late, you know, there's been, at least in my opinion, there, there's been very little charming about this organization. So I, I I would say that's probably the reference. I can't imagine that anybody would say, you know, that, think about the way they, they treated Billy Randolph. Think about the way they treated Mickey Calloway, uh, Sandy Alders on the way out the door. As far as I'm concerned, there's no charm there. Greg, is this a, a mistaken attempt to lump us in with the Cubs and Red Sox? Uh, what I got from reading that article was that Ken Davidoff was telling us to go home and get our shine box. 
to put it <laughs> in Goodfellas terms, uh, to know our place. Um, I have no uh, patience for that sort of talk. I understand, you know, the, the Mets background and the, the Mets equity. I understand Casey Stengel, and I, I revere that uh, part of our heritage and Mr. Met and all the things that, uh, you know, keep us going when things aren't going so great. But what's really great, what really keeps me going is winning the World Series and the idea that we can win the World Series more years than not. So, you know, every every fan finds his or her reasons to, you know, stick with the team, to fall in love with the team and to keep falling in love with the team and to not fall out of love with the team. And... You know, unless Steve Cohn has some horrible, illegal, murderous ways of improving the Mets that will make me ashamed to be a part of this franchise as a fan, uh, I say, you know, go for it. Uh, build us up into a team that has a chance every year, and you know, we'll find the charm. Uh, yeah, the, these guys we have now are as has been said, are are guys you can identify with for the most part and guys you want to root for. And, you know, every every generation, and by by generation, basically every few years with the turnover in the team, we we have guys who we can root for. And we have things about the franchise, you know, by itself, regardless who owns it, that make us feel good. And we'll be fine. And Ken Davidoff needed an angle. I think, <laughs> and I think, uh, honest to God, I think Mike Mike Puma had his angle, and Mike Vaccaro had his angle, and Joel Sherman had his angle. Well, what was left? Ken, think of something else. And desperate at the eleventh hour, uh, Ken produced this nonsense. So, I'm plenty charmed by Steve Cohn, and I'm plenty charmed by the New York Mets, and I look forward to being charmed by the possibility of my team uh, playing in October and perhaps early November, uh, depending on how they schedule these things. Well said. Uh, Very quickly, uh, let me just throw my opinion out there very quickly about Cohen. Uh, What does his money do for us? Well, I I think his money allows us to replace an injured player. I think sometimes you might have to, you know, out – spend a mistake. Uh, it allows you to fill a need. Uh, and arbitration doesn't become such a burden on payroll. Uh, those are the, you know, small things that I think this influx of money does and Steve Cohn lends to the team. Uh, Mike, I my can I, uh, can I, I yes, please. Mike, before we, Mike, before we move on, I just, I'm, I'm very curious considering the way Fred Wilpon eventually got control of 99% of the team. Um, and I'll, I'll go to Greg first with, with this, uh, uh, before heading back to Mike. I, I'm, I'm just so curious. I mean, he comes in borrowing money like Walter O'Malley did to even get a part of it. And I believe it was only like 5% what was framed basically from Doubleday and co, which was of course, I believe a, uh, a, a big, uh, publishing firm. So what, like how, what was it like, you know, Fred, he, he was a face at the, uh, the press conference, but, like, how it, – it's so unbelievable that it just – it led to 
the control that he eventually had. Before we segue off, let's just ask kind of a, a denouement of the Wilfon. Well, you know, the, you know, he got from 5 to 50 to 100 uh, because they had clauses in the contract that said he had right of first refusal. And uh, he was a player to begin with. He came in as, as the guy who could bring in the extra 5% that needed to, to match the bid. And he was more anxious to the extent that either of them uh, was going to be the public face of the team. Um, he was more anxious to be that guy, the guy from Brooklyn, the guy who went to high school at Sandy Koufax. You know, I, I don't know if Fred ever mentioned that, but he did go to high school uh, with Sandy Koufax, and he, he pitched while Koufax played first base. It's a very, very little-known fact. He's never brought it up. But, um, you know, I, I always go back to the the, the context for what made Wilpon and Doubleday saviors, not only uh, that they came into a ground zero situation and could only go upwards, but they also conducted themselves to to, to use kind of a, a hoary phrase like sportsmen, and you know the, the the measuring stick that they were going against was George Steinbrenner, and George Steinbrenner, un, unlike what you saw in the two thousands. And really, from 1996 on, uh, was not a revered figure in this market. So to go out there and not be firing people left and right, and not be making crazy pronouncements, and not grabbing headlines, but instead to to hire the Frank Cashin and let him, you know, build a farm system and build an organizational structure and let the, the people who knew what they were doing do what they did. That was what made the first iteration of the Doubleday Wilpon ownership so spectacular, <laughs> you may, uh, you know, to, to uh, perhaps uh, exaggerate uh, using that word. But really, you know, there was, there was nothing to complain about for the first seven-plus years. And just to bring it back to Cone, um, I think one of the things I loved reading uh, in all his responses to people with, with their various uh, suggestions and requests and beseechments today was Cohn saying, I hire people smarter than me and let them, you know, do what they do. Um, Maybe may slightly paraphrasing there. And, you know, that's his way of saying, you know, I, I didn't get to where I am by thinking I know everything. And when we talk about, a team like the Rays, or for that matter, a team like the Dodgers, uh, the, the, who obviously have a lot more resources than the Rays did, you know, they got where they were by being as smart as possible, by hiring smart people, to, to use kind of a catch-all phrase there, by, yes, you know, being very advanced about the use of analytics, maybe, you know, not to a fault, uh, the way uh, the Rays might have in game six, or at least Kevin Cash did, but, you know, to, to build an organization or an organization needs to be built in the 21st century, which is what uh, Fred Wilpon and Jeff Wilpon were lacking, whether it was wherewithal, whether it was resources, whether it was just some sort of outdated mode looking at how baseball operated. And I think one of the things that beyond just the, the idea of having a wish list and saying, you know, dear, dear Santa Cone, please go out and get us J.T. Real Mudo and George Springer and Trevor Bauer, uh, is building 
a smart organization and a deep organization at the front office level. And looking at all that stuff that I don't think has been looked at uh, enough by by the Jeff Wilpon mix. So, you know, it's 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 been a long, strange trip of 40 years with Fred Wilpon and about you know 20 or so years with Jeff Wilpon. And you know, I'm 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 certain they they did some good things, uh, succeeded in their minds at certain aspects of ownership. And there are probably some people who would attest to how kind they were to them and how thoughtful they were as, as human beings. But overall, you know, we, we, we woke up Saturday morning uh, much better than we went to sleep Thursday night because we knew on Friday you know, where we were going and where we were going was without the Wilpons and with this guy who basically promises to be if not the anti-Wilpon, uh, but uh, let's let's just say the next generation of uh, of where ownership of the New York National League franchise needs to be. So uh, it's it's exciting, and they, and yes, it's charming. Yeah, <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. No problem. Uh, so with that, uh, any outstanding comments? about or opinions or observations about Steve Cohen before we move on to personnel transactions and otherwise. Going once. Going twice. We will move on. Uh, I'll just throw a bunch of stuff out there, and then we'll talk about, you know, what kind of offseason we all anticipate. Uh, Dellen Patances opts in. Brad Brack opts in. Marcus Stroman extended a qualifying offer. Was that a good move by the Mets? Uh, let me see. Justin Wilson, Rick Porcello, Waka, Todd Frazier, Tespitus, Jake, uh, Jake Marisnik, all free agents. Uh, nobody cares. Uh, I specifically left Wilson Ramos out of that list because we will discuss catcher. You know, there's a large contingent of Met fans who want JT Real Muto. Uh, James McCann is out there. Yadier Molina, I hear, or it's being said that him and the Cardinals might part ways. I heard Gary Sanchez's name mentioned. I want no part of that. Uh, And there's another large contingent of Met fans that want George Springer for center field. So, uh, and I also heard Masahiro Tanaka for the rotation. I want no part of that either. So there's a lot of names out there. Off season, dust off the hot stove. Let's take this around the loop. Sam. Uh, yeah, I'll just start with Tanaka since that was the first, that was the last name you, you mentioned. Excuse me. Um, I, I think that I still, even though we're talking about this entire thing, depends on what Cohen's ready to do. Uh, but at the same time, this is when his elbow completely breaks down, is when he comes to the Mets. That's just how it works. I don't care. No matter what we talk about with Cohen, you know, like something like that could happen. I just see it in the stars. So let's stay away from that. Trevor Bauer is intriguing, even though like half the people hate him. Um, and, and a lot of that is just social media, of course. But I, I, I think the Yadier Molina thing would be interesting way of exercising demons, you know, uh, on, you know, the, the, the way that Carlos Beltran failed immediately experiment went. 
Um, and George Springer, we've always been saying that we need a center fielder. Uh, and if if this is what we are saying we need to hone in on, regardless of what the his past experiences with the Astros are from the cheating level, uh, you know, I, I don't know what his numbers were. I, I know that um, uh, Jose Altuve had a big dip off this year, uh, but, you know, they still made the playoffs and, and they still uh, tested in the playoffs. So um, I, I wouldn't be uh, averse to that. And, uh, you know, it, it, it all does really come back to Cohen because it all, also comes back to Brody Van Wagenen. Uh, and most likely he does not come back, but it, it's not going to be for another 10 days until we, we know exactly what and who is in charge. So, it, you know, it, it's very intriguing to mention all these names, but there's still that, that one more, uh, you know, the, the, the one more set of reality that is actually now that everybody who could uh, protest has not, now the deal actually has to get done, and then we can actually get started with this thing. Rich, Sam brings up BBW. Now, maybe it's just me and I'm misinterpreting things, but in one of the statements or even a tweet, it referenced Sandy Alderson and that there might be a president under Sandy Alderson and then a GM. Am I, am I understanding that right, Rich? I did see that. And um, I saw that too. And it could be, you know, that they want Sandy to be a, a total executive, you know, not really getting involved in the day to day to any degree. So he could populate below him, you know, with a, um, if Sandy's the chief, you know, baseball officer, maybe he can have a president of baseball operations under him, then a GM. So, you know, all that remains to be seen. And, and the only thing that that's unfortunate is the GM meetings are, I believe, uh, next Monday. So there's not a lot of time. I'm sure Cohen is doing this behind the scenes and getting his people ready, at least his first layer down, you know, Sandy and maybe some others. So he could probably bring those guys in immediately and they could be ready for the GM meetings where a lot of the juices, you know, start to flow towards off-season moves and then be fully have, have a fully staffed group ready to go for the, for the winter meetings, which usually take place just after Thanksgiving. So, but it's unfortunate they have to kind of cobble this together. I'm sure a lot of work is going on now, but you know, Mike, I'm going to jump in on the previous question about what, what they need. I've known you for eight years and you and I have had this conversation so many times you have to be strong up the middle and the Mets, I mean, to say the Mets need a catcher is like saying we need oxygen to survive. I mean, you know, you, you, you absolutely need a catcher. Um, is JT Real Muto a, a, a very attractive choice? Of course he is. The guy's fantastic. Problem is the guy's 30 years old, and he's probably going to get somebody to give him a five- or six-year contract. And, you know, and catchers at, at – or maybe more. And catchers at 34, 35, 36 years old, you might regret that deal down the line. So they have to get better. I don't think the only path to getting better behind the plate is Real Muto as much as I would like to have him. So if they have to get him a can or somebody like that, that's okay. You're coming off of Wilson Ramos. It's not hard to upgrade at that point, folks. I mean, a cardboard <laughs> cutout might be better. A pitchback might be better. But let's be honest. I mean, he was horrible, beyond horrible. So, so they will improve behind the plate. And maybe, maybe McCann is the right choice because then you could do other things up the middle, right? 
you you need to get major league starting pitching depth. There's nothing wrong with throwing with Stroman, throwing Stroman the QO because you can't lose if he signs for it, and he might because this is going to be a down free agent year. If he decides he wants to bide his time through 21 and come back, great, welcome, Marcus, glad to have you. Um, and if he decides to go somewhere else, you get your your draft pick. Okay, so. But they have to add real depth to the starting rotation, not Porcello and Waka. Hopefully those days are over. Not guys who are aging veterans, coming off injury, or God forbid both. They need to add genuine starting pitching depth one way or another. Up the middle, you know, the shortstop, second base combination, anybody's game at that point. You know, do they go after a Lindor? Don't know. How do they move the pieces around? Cano, Jeff McNeil, does Emil end up at third? Is Davis traded? Who knows? But then to your other point about center field, yes, critically important to get a major league center fielder. Brandon Nimmo is not that guy. We all know it. Um, he tried his best, you know, and all of that in center field. He's just not a center fielder. The Mets need to get a genuine center fielder. You know, Springer's also 30, I believe. I, I don't think he'll get the kind of contract Real Muto will. So maybe you can get a Springer for three or four years, and maybe that makes sense. Whether it's Springer or someone else, I want to see a genuine center fielder out there so Nimmo can move to a corner spot. So the Mets had a lot of a Springer over- for three or four years, and maybe that makes sense. Whether it's Springer. Sorry. Oh, that I, was I heard me. an echo there. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> that don't know was what me. happened there. Somehow it went. Yes, somehow it went, um, it turned on, so sorry. No, no problem. So, but that, that's a priority. I mean, center field catcher and, and major league starting pitching depth. I think the other, I think the, uh, you know, the, the double play combination will sort itself out at some point. Um, they have people, they just have to figure out which people they want. But, but to me, those are the priorities. Sounds like we have a lot of needs. Uh, I'm open to Yadier. Molina on a one-year deal and only a one-year deal. So, Anna, at least in a statement, Cohen said, you know, uh, with free agency around the corner, I'd like to get this deal closed out as soon as possible. That's what he said. So he's open to free agency, and it looks like he wants to jump right in. Right. Well, you know, and I'm glad to hear him say that. So, you know that tweet he did where he said, how can I make your Mets experience, you know, better? Um, I responded saying I would like to see us have a good winter in free agency because in the past we, I don't know about you guys, but it drives me nuts when I see a headline, like whoever the big free agent, you know, the top one or two free agents are that year, always see a headline that says the New York Mets are interested in, you know, and then insert top free agent name in there. And I'd be screaming at my computer going, no, you're not. You are absolutely not interested in paying $245 million to whoever the top free agent is, you know? So that used to frustrate me. And then we would make the big announcement that, um, oh, we made a big signing. Jason Vargas is the big signing, you know, and it's like, so I want to see us actually be in the real free agency market and not the 
36-year-old who was injured, you know, last year and, you know, is going to come and make a big comeback. And while that has worked a little bit for us, I just don't want that to be the plan. And that's what the plan was every single year with the Wilcons. And it was just so frustrating. And don't get me wrong, I didn't want Bryce Harper here, and I'm glad we didn't get him. But I would like to see us be in on the real top-notch free agents and not, you know, Todd Frazier and all of those. You know, even Waka and Porcello. I, you know, just want to be in the real free agent market. Greg, for fun, I'm going to throw this out there before you have your your way at this topic. 1992-93, the worst team money can buy. What kind of offseason do you anticipate? Uh, you know what I, I'm going to enjoy, uh, regardless of who from this free agent class, if anybody lands in the Mets uniform, the idea that, it, that if we do – conceivably just since his name came up and the, the reticence uh, was mentioned for EJT Real Muto getting six years, understanding that giving a catcher six years at his age is more than a risky, that under this ownership, you can absorb that blow after the first three years. And you can say, all right, it's not going to hobble us altogether and we won't just be counting the days until his contract is off the books that if conceivably we signed Real Muto and Real Muto was in fact a huge piece of the puzzle that put the Mets over the top or at least got the Mets toward the top, it was worth it. And if you can do that and not feel as if every risk you take you know, has a, a downside that's too big, then I think that's half the battle already. So, you know, we, we learned in, you know, as you just cited, 92, uh, going out and signing the biggest name free agents isn't uh, necessarily a panacea, and it's not just the Mets. You could look to a lot of uh, examples through the years. But you can also look to examples through the years where having a – reliable, getting better, shall we say, improving core, uh, and then adding to it with a strategic George Springer type, shall we say, um, that works. Uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of different things that work, but the, the, the point here is having options and having the ability to have options. And I think that's that more than uh, you know, any specific player is what I'm looking forward to this off season and other off seasons. Uh, the the one name that came up in conversation and intrigued me, and and really not because of the historical overtones, is Yadier Molina. In that, boy, I think if you could get Yadier Molina for one year, depending on on what you gauged your your needs being, what you had maybe coming up behind him uh, as a catcher. I just think he'd make a world of difference to a number of guys on this pitching staff. It, it reminds me of the Marlins going out and getting Pudge Rodriguez for one year. I think they had him. 
Uh, they won a World Series with him. It's, it's dangerous to, you know, to decide that you have a precedent and it's always going to work. But, uh, you know, he's still a great defensive catcher. And I've kind of, after 14 years, let the <laughs> my, my uh, disdain that kind of is worn off. Uh, Molina, I figured, was just doing his job, unlike Chase Utley. So as far as uh, villains go, <laughs> uh, I, I, I think I could look myself in the mirror. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't think that's where we're going. But it, it is sort of intriguing to think in those terms. It would be really nice to draft a stud catcher in 2021 and let him blossom for a couple of years while. Rail Muto or McCann or somebody is uh, is filling that role. You you can't go through the year, even a sixty game year again, with the likes of Wilson Ramos and the uh, the guy we got from Texas, Chirinos and Tomas Nito, who I hope is doing well because he he disappeared after his positive COVID test. I all all great guys. Ramos was a heck of a hitter in twenty nineteen. And I, I think he was a guy I, I liked a lot personally from from a distance, but yeah, this is is not you can't go into a season just kind of you know vamping it behind the plate. Uh, and yeah, you definitely have to improve in center field. And sadly, Nimmo is you know if you didn't have any other problems, you could probably get by. But uh, yeah, they've got a few holes to fill. But you know, again, I, I'll I'll just circle back to. Being able to take a shot at you know one of one of the big names to to fill a hole and and not like crossing your fingers that we're not regretting it in two years because by then we'll just be stuck with that contract and now we can't do anything else uh, a la say Cespedes or even when we we kept right um, will be a welcome change and and let me let me just uh, throw in although he's not a free agent. Uh, Michael Conforto uh, is a year from free agency, I believe. And I would like to think, and, and if you want to draw a, a precedent and a parallel here, uh, one of the first things uh, the, the new Mets ownership in 1980 did was say, hey, we, we don't want to let Craig Swan get away. <laughs> we don't want to let Doug Flynn get away. And again, we're not talking about world beaters here. In, in their time, they were important to the team. Uh, I don't want to let Michael Conforto get away. Michael Conforto is cresting and uh, becoming that player we, we've been hoping he'd be. Uh, you know, we, we don't want the Mets to be in that, that position of being the team. This is, well, we can't afford him anymore. Uh, I hope that one of the first things this organization does under Alderson 2.0 and whoever he brings in to work with him, and, and, and you know, backed by Cone, is sign Michael Conforto for X number of years and send a signal that not knockwood that they're all you know the kind of guys who are still an upward trajectory that when it comes time for Smith and for Alonzo and for McNeil uh, to face you know free agency that they are they too are signed for the long term that we get to keep these guys here uh, you know assuming we don't we don't have better options so to, to me that that's kind of the big picture I think I'm looking at and I'm I'm willing to have a little faith that. It's not going to be the winter of Michael Waka and Rick Porcello and the wing and a prayer, which unfortunately has been one too many uh, winters in recent years. 
You're listening to a Metsian podcast this evening with our guests, Greg Prince and Anna Brace. Greg, we're not getting to our final word yet. I still have another question for the room, but tell us what you're doing, where we can find it, please. Uh, I am uh, the co-anchor, if you will, of Faith and Fear in Flushing, uh, dot com. Uh, with my pal Jason Fry, we've been doing it now for 16 full seasons or in the books, and we are completing a series over the next couple of weeks called A Met for All Seasons, uh, which is you know been a sort of an essay, uh, remembrance, whatever you want to call it, of a given Met and a given year. And uh, we've been doing we, – we started during baseball's quarantine, and we kept doing it through the season, and we've kept doing it – since then, we just have a few of those left, and it's funny, on Friday, I had a particular, one of my last players uh, for the series, I had it in progress, and then the word came down about Steve Cohn, and I said, well, you know what, I'll do respect to this player, who will now be my Tuesday subject, because we do it on Tuesday and Friday, uh, nobody's going to want to read about this guy today, because all anybody cares about is Steve Cohn, so I shifted gears and made my my, my <laughs> season 2021 and my, my net for all season Steve Cohn. So, um, you know, we're, do, we're doing our thing uh, historically and uh, hopefully looking ahead as well. And uh, otherwise, I've got a few books out there. Uh, Google my name at Amazon if you're interested. Uh, good, good net stuff, hopefully. And... Uh, I'm around on Twitter at uh, Greg uh, underscore Prince. Anna, keep those pictures of the hiking trails coming. Uh, what are you doing and where are you doing it? What am I doing? I am the owner of Pinnacle Peak Marketing out here in Scottsdale, Arizona. And that is keeping me really busy. I work with you know, small to medium-sized businesses for the most part, and just doing marketing, whatever they need. Sometimes it's just a project. Sometimes it's everything. And um, I have an interesting mix of clients. And it's been kind of crazy during COVID time, but I've been really, really busy. And that's part of the reason why I keep escaping to Sedona, because I find myself like this past week, uh, having not left the house from Sunday to Thursday. And it's like, okay, I need a change of scenery. So Sedona is 90 minutes away. I bring my work with me and I sneak in some hikes in this beautiful weather. And I just try to take advantage of everything that Arizona has to offer. So unless anybody has any outstanding issues, here's my final question. Sam, I'm going to throw it to you. And it has to do with the will punts. Let's just say, let's pretend that in 2006, the Mets win the World Series. And that in 2007 and 2008, instead of losing in such heartbreaking fashion and not making the playoffs, that they do make the playoffs, but don't win championships. So that would be three consecutive years that they make the playoffs. If nothing else changes but that, if everything else remains the same, do you look differently upon the departing Wilpons? Sure, but at the same time, 
it, it would be very much history repeating itself uh, similarly to the 80s, uh, min- you know, uh, in terms of the 80s minus a playoff appearance as to what your hypothetical uh, thing is. Um, I, I, I think that, and, and speaking of which, I think that at this point Aaron Heilman is a bigger villain than Yadier Molina uh, because he's the one who threw the pitch to a rookie catcher in the playoffs. So, um, <laughs> I, I, I think that we're going to, you know, just in terms of these discussions, I was kind of thinking earlier how we're going to have a little bit of withdrawal of talking about how ridiculous the Wilpons are because there's going to be more and more stories that come out. Even recently we're talking about the New York Post, Mike Puma, who I, I do happen to like. Um, he was writing about how, uh, you know, halfway into the off season, January 31st, actually way past half, halfway into an off season, after not really having money earlier in the year, they'd be like, oh, we had 10 to 12 extra million dollars. Let's see how we, we should spend it. And the executives would be like, that would have been nice back in December 13th or 14th. Um, so, like, you know, Pedro already has spilled the beans before the Wilpons left. So we should be prepared to hear many, many more stories as to how dysfunctional this crew was, uh, regardless of the isolated, amazing moments that, that we, we have celebrated, including Andy Chavez's catch, which unfortunately did not, what was not followed by a massive run rally in the bottom half of that inning. So it's unfortunate that we cannot have what hypothetically you, you were talking about, um, but we only have what we have. And I don't want to tell Steve Cohen not to celebrate the ND catch, but it does kind of seem a little silly, doesn't it? As great as the ice, it's an amazing catch. He did an amazing job. He's an ama- he was an amazing defensive player. And I will always have a place in my heart for Andy Chavez. But let's be honest, that's a very Wilpon thing to do, the way they celebrated it and the way they celebrated it compared to even putting orange and blue in City Field to begin with. Well, Gianfredo's catch came in a losing effort against the Yankees. So, <laughs> Rich, it wasn't the Wilpon's fault that Donna Sanchez got hungry in the middle of the night or that El Duque got hurt just before the playoffs. Now, you know, if you listen to Pedro Martinez, yeah, Jeffy had something to do with his toe injury bleeding into the 2006 series. But the scenario I paint, would that, and nothing else changing, would that change or would that have changed your opinion of the outgoing Wilpons? Maybe slightly, Mike. Um, because obviously, you know, anybody could be a champion. That's a one-time thing. But being a winner, a consistent winner, is really what you want. That's the holy grail. And so if they had won in 2006 and then made the playoffs the following two years, the record, you know, the ledger sheet would be a little bit better. But, but when I look at the Wilpon era from 2002 to current day, I break it up into two, two ways, right? I think we all do in our minds. There's pre-Madoff and post-Madoff. So pre-Madoff, the Wilpons, they spent the money, man. You know, they, they brought in Pedro. They brought in Carlos Beltran. You know, and, and before that, you know, when Doubleday was still around, 
they they signed by Mike Piazza. Everybody said he was going to go somewhere else, and, and they signed signed Piazza. So they did spend the money. They did have a top three payroll at that point, and, and they had modest success. You know, they got to the NLCS and then two collapses. So, but if they had won the World Series and then and then two playoff appearances, yeah, that would be a little bit better. But unfortunately, from 2009 on, after the Madoff thing anything that would have happened in six, seven, and eight would not change that. I mean, let's face it. It's been what, 12 seasons inclusive of operating like a small market team, not only the stain of the Madoff thing and and what happened and and all of that, you know, the, the, the um, immoral, shall we say nature of it. But, but the, you know, the mere fact that they've operated this team charging New York prices for, for small to mid market out kinds of output for the last 12 years, that wouldn't change that. And I think that's, that's the big stain on the Wilpons is what happened in the last 12 years. The fact that they were involved in the Madoff thing to whatever degree, who the heck really knows, but there was some involvement there. And what we do know is it drastically changed the, the amount of money they spent on this team. And, and, and the meddling got, got even high, you know, to a higher degree because they were that much more financially strapped. And, and you've talked many times about how much they owe on everything on city field and everything else. So, um, so to me, that's the big stain on them. And that would not be changed by, by winning in 2006 and then con- three consecutive playoff appearances. This is cracking me up. Uh, to me personally, city field was the biggest disrespect. Uh, I was anticipating a shrine to the Mets and uh, that above all else uh, hits home and hurts the most more than losing, per se, in 2002 or 15 or whatever. Now, Greg, uh, we have the double-day prophecy that Wilpon was going to run this team into the ground. In our revisionist history, does 2006 and two more playoff appearances in seven and eight build any equity whatsoever? I think it runs out. During the Madoff uh, years, as, as unfortunately we're, we're kind of compelled to call them, uh, you know, it, it would look good on the historical record. You know, I'm very happy that they won the division in 2006. I'll always have fond memories. Uh, the fact that they didn't get to the World Series does not diminish that. I, you know, at, if uh, to, to invoke that word again, charm. Part of the charm of being a fan of this team is appreciating whatever it is that they win when they win it. So I appreciate that at that moment in time, and I I remember uh, both Jason and I wrote stuff about this, about how this is a golden era that we're on the cusp of now because, you know, look at this. We have these two great young players. We have these stars that we've brought in who are still in their prime to varying degrees, We've got this great new network uh, broadcasting our games and our press conferences live. We're going to have a new exciting stadium allegedly, and you know we and we're going to take over New York for what that's worth. Uh, it, it seemed to to me and others uh, that uh, the Yankees were peaking and the Mets were coming on, and not not that that really matters, but it it does. <laughs> so. Things were looking really good, and I'm 
you know, willing to kind of bask in that moment in memory. But unfortunately or unfortunately, we, we all kind of have short memories when it comes to the present, which is to say it's it's hard to say how could you be mad at, at the Mets? They, they won a second World Series under the Wilpons in 2006 and they made the playoffs three years in a row in 06, 07, and 08, hypothetically. Uh, you know, 2015 came and went. 2016 and its one, one night in the wild card game came and went. And by the second or third week of 2017, we were kind of back where we started at the uh, the outset of the, uh, the the Wilpon sole ownership. And yes, um, Nelson Doubleday's uh, immortal phrase, one for the hills, boys. Uh, Mr. Jeff Wilpon has decided he's going to run a baseball team. Um you know, yeah, you have to take all all the good and all the bad uh, into account uh, when you're looking at anybody's track record. But I, I just think that they, had the Wilpons and the Mets, as personified by the Wilpons, had such a hard time sustaining anything. And certainly the whole Madoff situation made it, you know, nigh impossible <laughs> to sustain anything. And, you know, you, you get that, that, 2015 once in a generation type of thing you know five years ago tonight we were in the world series what turned out to be the last world series game of the Wilpon era and you know reveled in that just like you know everybody here did but um you know if, if you had woken up you know, let's, let's say for argument's sake Matt Harvey gets out of the ninth inning the Mets fly to Kansas City they win game six and seven and the Mets have won their third World Series. Well, never mind 2006. If the day after the parade that we would have been able to have had because there was no pandemic in 2015, after we've all hugged and high-fived, if word had come out that, you know what, the Wilpons have decided to sell while the getting is good, and uh, they're announcing the new owner of the Mets uh, you know, in next week at a press conference, would anybody have been sorry? Would anybody have been like, no, they can't leave now. Uh, this great ownership has led us to, to uh, the World Series. I don't think so. I think there was just a sense that these guys were, were not what we needed. And unfortunately, you know, they didn't lead us to uh, winning that World Series. And, you know, we got there, and they, they hired the guy who oversaw our getting there and I'm, I'm grateful for that, whether that was, you know, the commissioner's call or not, uh, whether they got out of his way enough or not. The, the point is it happened. And, you know, I, I give them, to, to use a Twitter phrase, I give them a blue check mark for having done that. And I give them a blue check mark for having built the ballpark they wanted to build, whether any of us were all that thrilled about it or not. Um, you know, no. <laughs> I don't think 2006 coming to fruition and being all it could have been and then 2007, 8 not, not being notorious uh, really changes the equation. Maybe, again, just to use the example I just used, if going into 2009, going for, if a week before the Bernie Madoff revelations connected to Fred Wilpon had started coming out and they said, hey, we're going to sell it for some, for some strange reason. We're suddenly going to sell but we got a buyer. Everything's good buy. Um, we might have said, "Well, gee, that's too bad." They, they they sure did a good job of turning things around after a rocky start in 2002 and three. But um, you know, 
there was, you know, no, no, I don't think there was any real affinity to these guys after a while. So, you know, for Fred after a while, and for Jess never. So, not really. <laughs> well said. Anna, former New Jersey, New Yorker, East Coaster, do you have any love in your heart for a Brooklyn kid who grows up to buy the local team? Meaning the Will Ponds. <laughs> yeah. No, I really, you know, and again, maybe it's because we've suffered for as long as we have. Um, you know, like, for example, when we've needed a manager, they've, the past two managers, I'm not counting the current one, so Terry and then Mickey. They pulled Terry out of having not managed for 10 years. And I remember thinking to myself, what are, what are they doing? Like they're cheaping out on the manager. And let's be frank, they picked Terry because they could pay him less than a million dollars. That's why they picked Terry. Now, I personally think Terry worked out far better than I was expecting him to work out. I don't know if you guys liked him. I think he had our players really wanting to play for him and trying hard on every single play. And, again, that fun team that I talk about, like these guys wanted to play. So he turned out, in my opinion, better than I thought. But, again, I was like, why are we picking a guy who hasn't managed in 10 years you know, and again, because it's to not have to pay him a lot. So then when Terry leaves, I'm saying to myself, okay, we got to go for a really good manager, someone who's established, someone who's been successful. We've got to get, you know, 2015 was not that long ago, right? 2015 was only three years ago at that point. And then they do it again. They pick a brand new, man, you know, someone who hasn't managed. And I don't know how you guys feel about Mickey, but he drove me nuts. I really tried year one. Year two, I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. Um, and, again, part of it is, is he's one of those managers that pulls out pitchers uh, as soon as the pitch hits number 100 got to pull him out no matter how he's pitching, you know, that kind of thing. And just so many games I remember saying, oh, why are we doing this? You know, why are we making this move? So I wasn't unhappy to see Mickey leave. But again, I said to myself, okay, let's get a manager, an established manager. I wanted Joe Girardi. And from what I can understand, Joe Girardi uh, would have liked to have come here. Um, I don't know if you guys wanted Joe Girardi or not, but, you know, there were even other guys, right? Wasn't Madden available at that point? And, you know, there were a few guys that I was like, oh, we could go for him. And, again, we pick a brand-new guy, Carlos Beltran, who has never managed before so I just want to get out of that I want 
them to, you know, like I'm saying with the free agency stuff, I want to get, you know, I don't want to always go for the first-time manager. And, yes, that can work. But I would have liked to have seen Joe Girardi here, and who knows? Who knows how well or not he would have done. So that's how I feel about the will pun is I feel like every time they could cheap out on something, and mind you, I realize me saying pay Girardi $3.5 million compared to whatever he was paying Carlos Beltran, um, you know, I get it. I'm spending their money. Very easy for me to say. So I get that. But I just feel like every opportunity they had to cheap out, they did. So They did. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so I'm very, you know, so I'm very, bye, guys, bye, bye, Will Pond. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of your uh, life. You made you made a lot of money on this team. You made a lot I, of you money. You know, to be honest with you, they don't deserve the money that they made on this team, you know? So, bye. I'm ready. I'm ready for the new era. They were never exactly uh, truthful, you know. Just instead of saying, look, we're broke, you know, uh, they were just never truthful. Yeah. So, with that, yeah. uh, unless there's any outstanding issues, speak up. Otherwise, we'll move into our final word and wrap this up. I, Rich, I will start with you, sir. Final word. Um, well, I guess it would be hope. You know, as, as Mets fans, we've had hope scattered about throughout the years. We've had a lot of conversation about how it's been hard to con- have anything consistently over the years, but now it's a dawn of a new day, you know, uh, new ownership with that new possibilities, 14 billion, maybe possibilities. And, um, you know, and, and it's a time for hope and Mets fans are hopeful. It's the happiest I've seen the fan base certainly since 2015 and, and maybe even longer than that. So hope is my final word. Mr. Prince, thank you for your time this evening. Your final word. Uh, happy to have been here. Uh, my final word uh, or phrase, Globe Life Field, uh, home of the 2020 World Series, not so much because the World Series is played there, and God forbid we have neutral site World Series when everybody is well again. But I, I couldn't help but notice every time they had an overhead shot that's sitting right next to it, was a perfectly good ballpark, which I think went by the name of Globe Life Field. One was Field, one was Park. Forgive me, I can't, I can't keep up. But um, point is, they had a perfectly good ballpark, and they built another one because they decided they could do better. And you could debate whether it was at all necessary. Uh, you know, it's retractable roof and air conditioning. It's it's hot in Texas. We know that. Um, we saw. The Rangers do it. We saw the Braves do it a few years ago. Uh, the 20-year-old ballpark, and they decided, well, we want a new one in a new place. Uh, the one in Texas was 26 years. Uh, I bring all this up because I can't help but think that somewhere in our not-distant lifetime, Steve Cohn, with the resources he has and the sense of, you know what, I don't want to live in somebody else's vision 
Uh, I get the feeling we're going to have another ballpark before long. I think if we're doing this mm. podcast in 10 years, I think we're talking about City Field in the past tense. Um, I could be out of my mind. Maybe Steve Cohn didn't get to be Steve Cohn by uh, acting on a whim. I don't think it'll be a whim, though. I think he uh, spends a few days at City Field as the majority owner coming into it to do his business, and he's going to say, hey, why is this? I'm not even talking about the fan stuff. I'm not talking about you know, what the stadium was, was built to resemble or who the rotunda is dedicated to at the expense of others. So the, the sorts of things that we've talked about ad infinitum on this show. But I just get the feeling he's going to be there and just be asking in the offices, like, hey, why is this like this? And they'll say, oh, that's how Jeff Wilpon wanted it. And I think that's going to get him going. And I get the feeling that um, whatever our, you know, whatever drawbacks we see in City Field and whatever he does in the interim, perhaps, to to make them more, to, to use a phrase that we use here, Metzian, um, mm-hmm. is not going to be the extent of it. I would not be surprised if somewhere down the line, you know, once, you know, you can feel pretty good about, society and people not getting sick. I don't think today is the time to start building a new ballpark. Uh, feel better about, you know, people's economic situation. And, and by the way, kudos to Steve Cohn for immediately, you know, announcing, I think an investment of $27 million to, to make the employees uh, at city field who, who lost their jobs this year because there, there wasn't uh, any ball games to, to work at and his investment in Queens, uh, whether, you know, you, you want to be cynical and say, well, that was just to kind of get the deal done with the city of New York or just as a uh, an opening PR salvo, it's still, you know, the right thing to do. Um, I don't think it ends there. I just think that, um, I, again, I, I'm not trying to project. I'm not saying, hey, rebuild Shea Stadium. I, I don't think that's going to happen. But I think a, a grander ballpark, a Mets-oriented ballpark, a to use that horrible phrase, a state-of-the-art ballpark, you know, I, I don't think City Field is here for 45 seasons the way Shea Stadium was. And I I don't think, you know, all all things being equal, I don't think we're, quote-unquote, quote stuck with it forever. And, I, I again, it not, shouldn't be a priority. This place is perfectly good. But then again, so was the one in Texas. So was the one in Georgia. And um, that's just what I, I've, I've had on my mind for the last couple of days. And it gives me something to look forward to, quite frankly, because I, I think, uh, Mike, you alluded to it. Um, they, the, this was going to be the Wilpon legacy, and I don't think it landed the way they thought it would. And I don't, you know, I, again, we've had a World Series there. Maybe we have another World Series there real soon. But um, I think we can do better. <laughs> and I think Cohn is going to have that feeling that, again, this was Fred Wilpon's vision and Jeff Wilpon's execution. And I don't think that's going to impress Steve Cohn for, for more than a couple of innings. But uh, we'll see. We, we have to we have to get back to a ballpark first. So that that's been on my mind. Thought I'd share that. And again, thank you very much for for having me on, Anna. It's been very nice hearing from you and getting to talk to you as well. Boy, I hope you're right. <laughs> I really do, Anna. You've become a very oh, good my. friend of the podcast. Uh, your final word. Yes. Final word is excellent. And so before I forget, Greg, I was just going to say the same thing, is that I haven't gotten a chance to talk to you in the past. So it was a pleasure being on with you tonight. Um, 
thank you for inviting me, guys. And, Greg, it was really nice talking with you. And excellent. Uh, Again, I want to see us really striving for the great free agent. I want to see us striving for uh, really great managers, not necessarily first-time managers. I know that isn't probably in the books immediately. Same goes for GM. Wasn't happy with a former agent as a GM. I just thought that was the wrong move. And one thing I absolutely want to see, I saw a headline on Twitter, and I sure hope this is not going to happen, but the headline was something about, like, will Gary, Keith, and Ron be in Steve Cohen's plans? And they have to be in his plans. Being out of market now and having the MLB package and my first few years having the MLB package where sometimes I got the Mets broadcast and sometimes I got the other teams broadcast, I listened to some really, really awful broadcasting. We have the best broadcast booth anywhere in all sports. We have the best broadcast booth. This article said something about Steve might want Gary, Keith, and Ron to be more positive about the Mets and the owners and, you know, the managers and whatever. And I really hope that doesn't become an issue because when I listen to all these Homer broadcast booths, it is annoying as heck to hear these guys, you know, I, I can't even watch, I don't even watch D-back games anymore because I can't stand the broadcast booth. It's awful. My husband thought I was kidding. He sat down next to me one day trying to watch the D-backs game, and he goes, oh, my God, you're not kidding. You know, we have the best booth. We have the best booth. So I don't want to see a booth that all of a sudden has to start saying nice things and only saying good things about our players and our managers and our owners and everything. I hope Gary, Keith, Ron, Howie, and Wayne can just be themselves. You're here. They're great. Uh, my final word is yabba dabba do. I'm just so happy. And with that, <laughs> I'm going to hand over the reins to Sam Maxwell, who will close out his first episode as president podcast operations. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I'm just going to first say thank you to all of you for joining us tonight. Thank you to Greg. Thank you to Anna. And I'm going to piggyback on what Greg said. And just in case Uncle Stevie is listening, the ballpark at Sunnyside Yards. That's my last word. Let's go Mets, folks. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Let's go, Mets. Bye, everybody. Good night, everyone. Good night, everybody. Good night.